Whether it be in the New South Wales Ranges, Riverside and the Northern Territory, above treeline in New Zealand or Colorado, or in the tundra of Alaska, hunting camp is where the best stories are shared. Join me as I bring some of these stories to you, along with tips and techniques from some of the known and not so well known hunters of Australia and around the world. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Hey guys, welcome to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. I'm your host Craig Hales. I uh, hope everyone's been well. It's been a, a little while coming for the next episode. Do I have to apologise? Um, as you probably most of you guys know, um, we've been over over the states um, chasing the elk over there, and uh, an epic adventure was had. So um, some great stories to come out of it. Those will be coming to you. In the next few weeks, uh, once I, I get everything in order, uh, get my life back together with work, family and the rest of it. So I do thank everyone for their patience, um, all the support and everyone uh, messaging to see how we went over there. It, uh, it's very humbling to, to know that that's so, so many people are following us. So it's a, it's a really good thing. And uh, yeah, we love, we love sharing the stories and, and can't wait to bring it to you. So um, it, was, it was a little bit interesting. So um, look forward to that one. So... This week we got uh, one I recorded there a couple of months ago before I left. We got Pat Tidings from Boulder Creek Archery. Pat's a, uh, oh, he's been around the books and uh, got a hell of a lot of experience. But here, both here and in New Zealand, um, he's he's definitely got a soft spot for the for the bull tar over there, and and uh, the man knows how to to hunt a, uh, a deer back home. So um, I hope you enjoy this one. You get plenty out of it. He goes through um, his shop as well. Um, some of the gear he carries, a bit of the testing that he's done. He's, uh, he's got a great little shop there. He carries some great products, and um, I, I urge you to check him out if you're looking to, for some uh, backpacking gear. So, anyway, here we go. Pat Tidings, Boulder Creek Archery. Enjoy, guys. Well, hey, guys. Welcome to the Hunting Camp Down Under. I'm sitting in Willow Tree, New South Wales, with Pat Tidings from Boulder Creek Archery. How you doing, Pat? Yeah, good. Good buddy, uh, yeah. Thanks for having us. Um, it's been a while in the making. We've finally, finally been able to get together. So, no, uh, it's uh, it's all good. Yeah, I think I dropped in a couple of weeks ago, and it was after a tough hunt, so I wasn't in the headspace to get it done. So, but um, that was yeah. good to have a yarn anyway. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's always uh, always good talking about this sport. That's for sure. Definitely. We're sort of sitting here just uh, going through. Oh, we're just generally chatting, and I said, oh, we probably should start recording this because we're starting to get into some pretty good to- topics so um but before we sort of jump into it just give the listeners a bit of idea of your background and how long you've been bow hunting and you know a bit about yourself yeah right i will um yeah i guess i was originally from queensland and um always had a passion for hunting like a lot of guys i guess i started with um started with a rifle and then uh then went to a bow. Uh, this is this is going back some time, I guess, probably thirty odd years, so maybe even more when I think about it. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's been a passion for a long time, um, the bow hunting scene, and and so um, I um, yeah, kind of started started this shop here after after a lot of years of of I guess getting um, misinformed by by uh, other establishments on on what sort of gear I needed to use and um, so yeah it all kind of stemmed from there but I I grew up on a uh, a cattle station in Queensland and 
and I can I can recall probably one of my first experiences with a bow was um, actually lobbing an arrow through uh, through one of the uh, house windows and landing <laughs> in the in the lounge room floor. Um, and at the time, I had to do a, a um, yeah a little bit of uh, manipulating of rugs and that uh, on that floor and. And obviously blame the hole in the window from the uh, from a lawnmower. So, but anyway, I, I happened to get away with that. Did you have uh, to mow the lawn as well? Uh, well, no, no. It was uh, it wasn't kind of uh, seen for quite some time because the arrow actually put quite a neat bullet hole through there, and, <laughs> and uh, so I got away with it. But I was certainly uh, never going to to mention to the old man that uh, what had actually happened. But anyway, it was all good. Um, so anyway, from there I I uh, I went to an ag college um, for sort of tertiary education, and again still had a passion for hunting. Just um, you know, there's a few years you go through there where you don't get so much of an opportunity. Yep. Um, yeah, worked on a couple of stations after that, and and ended up then being uh, moving down into the Hunter Valley and and starting a farrier business down there and. So I've been a farrier for uh, 28 years, I think. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's kept me fit enough for for uh, for this game. So yeah. it's it has its advantages, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's probably getting to the stage where I'll uh, yeah start to wind down a bit with that, and hopefully increase increase this game. Yeah, so that sounds good. So how long has Boulder Creek Archery been going on? Yeah, right. So we we kind of kicked it off about three or four years ago. We we've sort of got a few acres here at Willow Tree, and um, yeah, we were able to set up a three D club. Um, we weren't, you know, extremely passionate about three D, but we used to compete from time to time, yep. and it was a good social outing. And um, so yeah, I, I thought it was a good opportunity having the having the country we did to to set up a club. The issue we found after we did set it up was the fact that uh, probably 80% of the guys who were in the club were hunters. Yep. So, you know, for six months of the year, they, <laughs> like me, wanted to be out in the field and yep. not, not shooting rubber. So, um, yeah, in the end, you'd, you'd cater for, for 50 people uh, for f sort of four shoots of the year and you'd yep. cater for 10 for six shoots of the year. Yep. So. Yeah, in the end, I uh, I decided to close it down and and concentrate more on on I guess our passion, which is uh, the the backpack bow hunting into some fairly remote areas. Yep. Um, and so that's sort of where I um, where we're heading now, and I guess I've crossed over too with a with a lot of the um, products in the shop that not only cater for bow hunters but cater for rifle hunters as well. Yep. Um, you know, packs, uh, backpacks, you know, high-end tents, um, bino cases, that sort of stuff. Yeah, so boots as well. Seen a yeah, bunch of boots here as well. Yeah, no, we've got um, we've got Kenetrek and Lower on board, which which are two fairly good brands. Um, all the gear that we've got in the shop here, we've actually we trial ourselves, or we uh, we certainly get some feedback from some guys who. Are really passionate uh, passionate about the same thing we are, and, and um, packing in a remote areas, um, Fiordland, West Coast, New Zealand, those sort of areas. If if the gear survives there, it's going to survive anywhere. Yep. Um, yep. 
if it doesn't survive there, it doesn't get a start in the shop. It's yeah. it's kind of as simple as that for us. Um, most of the gear here has got, got really good warranties. Um, you know, I guess it, the old adage, you buy once and cry once, um, I guess is, is pretty true with this high-end stuff. But... Honestly, in those environments, you can't afford gear to be to be breaking down on your or you know not performing uh, because it it you know it becomes life threatening in in uh, you know severe cases. Yep. So, I think a good thing about a lot of these companies as well, and <coughs> we you know we'll get into a few of them in a little bit, but I think they listen to a lot of feedback as well. You know, they're obviously a lot of them American based. Obviously, the you know the back backcountry hunting over there is is big, hence where it comes from, but. I think you know they they seem to be good listeners. I know you've taken some some feedback ta- back to them, you know, in regards to packs and, and and even boots and things like that. So it's good that you can have that relationship with them, especially with your testing in that New Zealand, even locally, you know, with your deer season and that kind of stuff as well. Um, it's good that they listen to you. Yeah, sure. It's um, it's kind of uh, we've we've done a little bit of hunting in America, um, you know, over the years, I guess, and. And honestly, we probably haven't found anything quite as hardcore as New Zealand yep. uh, with the majority of America. And and until you get some of those guys coming out here and and um, experiencing, you know, Fjord and NZ for themselves, it's um, they certainly listen. They just they probably find it hard the concept that if you you go into Fjordland, you might as well step off the boat or out of the helicopter and just walk straight into the lake mm-hmm. and be wet because for the next 10 days, you're going to be wet. You know, yeah. it's as, it's as simple as that. Um, and I, you know, obviously they get snow, they get that, uh, some pretty ordinary weather over there with some big cold fronts and that coming in, but consistently wet weather, yeah. uh, is something you don't experience a heck of a lot. I guess on the West coast, um, you know, over there in, you know, Washington and, and closer to the coast there, it's certainly, you know, similar. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it's good to it's good to uh, certainly be able to communicate a few experiences that we've had with their gear and um, get a bit of feedback. Yeah, yeah that's good. I mean, we, you know, we're obviously discussing New Zealand because it's it's obviously close to your heart. I'm yet to, to get there yet. But, um, you know, you've, you've found a certain passion in that. Um, I, I guess accessibility is probably a big thing, you know, especially, you know, for anyone that's looking to get into, you know, to get into a, a little bit different experience than, you know, the local sort of Australian stuff. But you you, you are jumping right into it, but I think you're going to get experience straight back at you. Absolutely. Um, first of all, you, you hit the nail right on the head as far as accessibility. New Zealand's just a fantastic country um for opportunity for for guys heading over there and and just wanting to to do a bit of stuff on their own it's it's not you know not ex- entirely necessary to to uh to go guided uh over there there's there's heaps of opportunity and you can do quite a bit of research obviously online or you can just talk to the uh department of conservation over there and they'll you know steer you in the right direction for sure um, I guess one thing I would say about NZ is is don't go over there with with inferior gear. It's mm-hmm. uh, it can be a fairly harsh environment, you know, regardless of the time of year. So just make sure you you know you're prepared and and don't e- don't expect too much. It's it's 
you know, it's like going anywhere for the first time. It's kind of a little bit overwhelming and, and you're there for the experience. And if you, you don't set your sights too high, then you're probably not going to be disappointed as much as thinking you're you know, going to come back with a 13-inch tar the first time yep. you go there. Yep. Um, but, yeah, no, it's – it's New Zealand's honestly, for us older guys, it's probably like Australia was 35 years ago. You yep. still see guys walking down the highway with a rifle over their shoulder. Yep. No one blinks an eyelid, yep. you know, because it's just an accepted outdoor sport that is over the there. That That's is the norm. norm. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So just – I want to pick your brain a little bit about, like, I've, I've never done New Zealand, and I'm sure there's plenty of others that haven't. Sure. Let's, we'll, we'll pick tar for, for one, because obviously, you know, that, that comes back to New Zealand pretty quickly. Yeah. You, know, you can put them two together, but yeah, as a starting point, if I was going to sort of, I'm planning on, um, one, probably what time of the year would be best to go um, for a first-timer. Um, secondly, you know, where's a good area to start? Um, I mean, you don't have to you know, give away secret spots or anything, but just a general yeah. idea of how does someone get into it that, you know, hasn't done it before, is, you know, hasn't been overseas before. Um, where, where Where's the best place to start? Okay, well, well, basically New Zealand's, I guess, broken into two areas, uh, the West Coast and the East Coast, if we're talking tar. Um, so the West Coast is a little more unpredictable uh, with weather. Um and, and probably a little bit more harsh in the terrain in a lot of cases. Um, but, but certainly the first thing I'd be looking at as a, as a, a first-time hunter going over there, like I said, you'd get on to uh, the, the Department of Conservation, uh, do quite a bit of research there. You can also get a, a book called Spot X, which uh, basically illustrates a lot of... Um, public land and what species are okay. in that public yep. land um yeah any of the any of the um helicopter outfits uh james scott uh really approachable people just give them an email say look it's my first time coming over um you know could you could you drop me in somewhere maybe at a hut because there's lots of lots of public huts you know up the karangaroo or a lot of the major systems over there. Um, this is on the west coast, uh, and yeah, look, those those guys will only be too accommodating to to put you into an area uh, that that will give you some protection. It'll give you an opportunity probably to hunt some bush bush lines, slips, and then if you want to climb a bit, you're going to get above that that tree line and yep. and go from there. So, um, look. <laughs> You can do, honestly, from here, and I've oh, forgotten how many times I've been NZ now, but um, you can do a trip from here, fly out of Sydney, uh, do a 10-day hunt in New Zealand, and that includes your, your flights, <coughs> return flights, your car hire, all your food, your chopper flight into an area, um, your accommodation, you know, other than when you're in the bush, you can honestly do a trip like that for under two grand. Yep. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and you will have change. It's yeah. It's just it's so accommodating. There's there's places that that uh, we stay at, um, Springfield uh, Motel and Lodge. The people there are really really accommodating, and and because it's uh, you know 
depending on when you go, usually the tar rut is is obviously May. Yep. Um, starts in sort of end of April, May, goes through and in, until June. Um, then you're do- dicing with the weather a little yep. bit. You can yep. get quite a heavy snow dump. Alternately, if you want to do a spring tar hunt, uh, the, the bulls are grouped up a little bit more. Uh, again, you can do that on either the east or the west coast. Okay. So I haven't hunted, to be quite honest, a lot on the east coast. Well, at all on the east coast. I've all done all my hunting on the west coast. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm probably not the best guy to be to be speaking to as far as that sort of experience. Yep. Um, but, yeah, again, there's there's lots of avenues to, to take. No, that's a good starting point. Um, obviously, that will sort of take us into the, you know, I guess the starting point with gear as well. And I know we're, we're sitting here, you know, talking about it and we're running, you know, similar gear as far as backpacks go. I think, you know, it's probably the most important thing. It's probably not given enough credit when it comes to, you know, when it comes to hunting, especially, uh, you know, if you're hunting any more than a couple of nights, it, it's going to be a, uh, I guess it's going to be a partner, not so much a bit of gear. But Absolutely. Um, What's a good starting point? You know, budget orientated and step it up. You know, where's where's the best place for people to start? Okay, so yeah, I guess it 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 depends, like you say, on the duration of the hunt. If you're only going uh, for a couple of nights, you can you'll still need some, you know, some some decent um, gear as far as clothing and shelter and stuff like that. But you uh, could get it get away with a you know, a pack that was uh, slightly more budget orientated, if you like, than um, than high end packs. But once you get into multi day uh, backpack hunts, it really becomes a head game. Yeah. Um, over there, you can guarantee you're going to get some some nasty weather at some stage. Um, you know, you're going to get wet. You're going to get cold. Um, and I've always said to guys, um, you know, if you're if you're on a hunt like that, and you can stay warm, you're not hungry, uh, you're dry, so you're not wet all the time, and you know your gear is is reliable, then your head's going to be in the right space. Yep. Um, I, I can understand everyone's budget's not not going to be able to afford a, a high end pack, um, but certainly when you uh if if you start to do this sort of stuff a little more seriously then it's it's money really well spent yeah um it's probably a little more of an investment it's probably the better way to look absolutely at yeah D- just going into packs i guess a little bit um we <coughs> we run uh, or we we stock and and run exo mountain packs out here which are um they're an American-based pack, um, and they've been around for a while, but they, they upgraded their harness system a couple of years ago to their K2 frame, which is a, it's a titanium frame and uh, gives you great vertical stability. What I mean by that is if you, if you sit your pack on the ground and push on the top of it, on a lot of those, uh, those packs that... The budget packs, I guess, even some of the good budget packs. If you've only got like two aluminium stays in a in a pack like that, and you push down on that, you can imagine when you when you load that pack up, it's got no alternative but to sag down and put more weight on your shoulders. Eighty yep. percent of your weight obviously should be borne on your on your waist belt or on yep. your hips. 
Um, but if you haven't got a substantial frame to hold that pack up, then alter yeah, ultimately it ultimately it's going to to drag down on your shoulders. Yep. Again, it's not going to be a problem for one or two days, but extend that to six, seven, eight days, and that will start to wear on you. Definitely, big time. Definitely, yeah, yeah. With yeah. um, I mean, I'm looking here. You've got um, obviously the XO, um, you've got some Badlands stuff too, and um, they've certainly been you know been around a long time, but they've 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 sort of stepping up in their game in the packs too. By the look of it, yeah. Look, they they are. They're uh, they're certainly not in the class of you know those the really high end packs, the XOs, the the Kiffies, the Stone Glaciers, stuff like that. But but one thing I will say about um, Badlands is their their warranty is just second Exception. to none. Yeah. Really um, good. I can remember not long ago sending a pack back that was something like twelve years old, and the zips were were pretty ordinary on it and anyway they fixed the zips the best they could and not only that they sent out another brand new pack when they sent it home so yeah like it's just uh it's phenomenal really that that a company can do that Uh, and yeah you know for 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 a lot of people that uh you know obviously uh, are budget-minded and you know god we're None of us are made of money. Well, sure. I'm certainly not. Anyway, so um, yeah, you know they're they're a pretty good product for for what you pay for them. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. No. Yeah. And it's um yeah, I think you know spending those kind of things, you yeah, you're not getting a bad product by any means just because it doesn't have the price tag to it. So correct, um, correct. You know, the you customer know. service, you know, on most of the companies is. Well, I had some experience with XO there last year. I know that um, by fold of my own, I. I snapped a buckle on the load straps and yep. um, it was already done up and I tried to do it up more but had a lot of weight in it and a simple email had all the replacements come through and yep. no questions asked and followed me up to make sure I was happy with it so you can't you can't sure. ask more than that. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, you know for for all the faults of social media, I think it makes uh makes most companies you know have to uh have to toe the line when when they have an issue with a product. Definitely. Um, which is, you know, it's great, and that's how it should be. I mean, at the end of the day, if if um, you know, if you've got a product and it's not performing, and it, and it, um, then yeah, it's up to up to you to to make sure that customer gets you know sorted out pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely. Um, very open-ended question. Boots. What are you running? Uh, look, <laughs> I've uh, I've run. All those boots that I've got there. Um, the the biggest thing I find with boots is um, is the fact that a lot of Aussies have got a pretty wide foot. Yeah, okay. Uh, so the reason I ended up going to Canatrek at uh, at one point was the fact that they come in three toe box sizes. Okay. So you've basically got a medium, a wide, and an extra wide. And I haven't found a, a boot on, on the market yet that uh, can match their toe box width. Um, that's probably not a huge issue until you get some weight on your back yep. and, you know, your feet uh, copper pounding. The the lowers, um, really good, well-made boot. And I think, to be quite honest, they probably, if you were doing multiple trips into NZ, mm-hmm. I think the lowers would probably outlast the majority of boots, in, okay. including yeah. the Canatrex. Yep. Okay. Um, the trouble with lower is they've, well, they've got a few models out, obviously, so it's it's probably not an issue, but 
I used to run the uh, the lower Tibets there for quite a while and um, never had an issue with them apart from being a little bit narrow. But the biggest issue was, unless you were in New Zealand, they were too much boot for everywhere else yep. you were wearing yep. them for. Yep. You know, you were kind of nearly walking stiff-legged uh, and they weren't comfortable. You were getting a sore back at the end of the day. and um, But throw 30 kilos on your back and it's a different story. Sort of, you know, yep. at the end of the day, you're feeling real good. Um, so they've got obviously the the Tibets. They've also got the Ranger out, which is probably probably a similar um, sort of standard, I guess, to the uh, say the hard Scrabble lights in the Canatrek. And um, yeah, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them another go. Um, I think yeah, certainly the Ranger is going to be a pretty all uh, good all round boot. They will handle probably ninety five percent of the stuff in NZ. Yep. And they'll also be a really nice boot for the Victorian Alps or, or something like yep, that if yep. you're into your samba hunting. Yeah, so. for sure. For mm. sure. No, yeah. it seem to be, it's hard. You know, there's no one size fit all with boots on. I, no. You know, I sometimes cringe when I ask that question, but it's always good to get everyone's different opinions. And, you know, yeah. I've, as you know too well, I think you've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm running the Crispy Summits. Yep. Um, offers say that, you know, they're not going to be a New Zealand boot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for, for anything around home, sort of, you know, New South Wales hills and, you know, the early season over in the States and stuff like that, they'll, you know, they're, they're a great boot. But, sure. Um, yeah, I'll be looking for something. You know, I've tried the Kenetrex. Um, I've got a, uh, I don't know how you would explain it, but like a deep heel. So if there's, you know, if, a, if there's no real sort of heel cup in the boot, I, I get that sl- the slip in it. Yeah. Um, so that's where I have a little bit of trouble, but same thing again. It's the, yeah. you know, what no one size fit at all, so it makes it difficult. Absolutely, and I think that's you know touches on a pretty good point with boots, and and it's difficult because you know boots are a big investment, and and um, you know to be buying them online on uh, you know a whim that someone says oh they're a great boot, they may be a great boot, that but they may not suit your style of foot, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, it's a bit of a catch twenty two, and and I guess that's why you know I. If people are going to invest in a boot like that and and they're at all able to to get to here, um, then yeah, look, come and try a pair on for goodness sake. And, oh, definitely and, can't. Yeah, I can't swear. You know, enough about that. Yeah, the same with the packs. Um, you know, I guess we've got the advantage, unlike some other uh, retail outlets, where I can, you know, I can throw as much weight in a pack as as you uh, desire and send you off up a hill, you know. There's and, a serious and shed here with some gear in it. So. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's only, you know, 100 yards away sort of thing. So, yep. yeah, it's um, it's definitely an advantage, I guess, just having a little shop here and, and um, you know, being able to have people try before they buy, if you like. Yeah, no, yeah. it's good. It's good. Um, you're going to, just before I forget, you're, you're going to be down at the, the expo in, is it next month? Is a yeah, so there's an eye hunt show in it uh, at Sydney at Homebush on I think it's the 16th and 17th of September. Yep. Um, yeah, so we've um, we're going to set up a, a stand down there and and um, hopefully we get uh, get enough <coughs> products. <coughs> excuse me, um, enough products to uh, to take down there, especially the packs. Um, anyone would know. <laughs> Uh, trying to get gear out of the states at the moment is uh, is pretty difficult. It's it's getting pretty full on for their hunting season there. Yeah, so it's they're all out scouting and stuff. Ah, so. just <laughs> unbelievable. So um, yeah, no, very good. 
yeah, no, it's um, it'd be a good place if um, there'd definitely be a couple of XO packs down there. Um, you'll have the boots and stuff down there as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and sorry to cut to that, but um, back to to gear. Um, obviously talking to yourself and a few of the boys that have been over as well. Um, with you know, obviously, I don't want to freak anyone out, but you know, hypothermia and those kind of things. How does the sort of you know we've got the merino wools and synthetics and I've always found it difficult, especially here in Australia, because a lot of the stuff's designed for that colder climate. But how do you go about, you know, obviously you've got a big hike. You know, I've heard some few stories about, you know, you've only gone, you know, a 1,000 yards in, you know, in four or five hours climbing. Mm-hmm. How do you handle the sweat and all that kind of stuff, especially when you're reaching that first camp? Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> certainly your layered systems, you know, obviously the way to go. Over there, I tend to run a, um, whether it be a, a uh, hybrid, thermal uh, synthetic wool blend or just a um, <clears throat> just a merino uh, thermal regardless <clears throat> excuse me regardless of um, of what you've uh, got on you're going to um, you're gonna sweat yep so you're nearly better off when you when you start an ascent like that to possibly be a bit cold okay. because you're soon gonna warm up yep and then just have access to your layers. Um, if you stop, then throw, you know, and there's a little bit of wind blowing, then throw a, a really light rain jacket on. Okay. So I guess, again, yeah, what I have is is a thermal. I'll have a vest because it's your torso that mainly is going to lose, you know, or, or needs to be kept warm, yep. apart from your head, obviously. Um, but, yeah, so I wear, uh, take a vest, a thermal, and then I'll have like a, a down jacket, yep. um, whatever brand, you know, that, that you like to wear. Um, if I stop and it's cold, I'll put that on. And then uh, again, I'll put the light rain jacket on yep. just to stop the wind. Breaking that wind, yep. Yeah. And so I've, I've found that system uh, quite, quite good for me in New Zealand. Yep. I think everyone's a little different. Yep. Um, I tend to, you know, I realise the synthetics, so they will dry quicker and, and um, you know, not, not stick to your body. But I don't think they offer the warmth a lot of the time yep. that, that the wool and thermals do. And they stink big time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's one real advantage with the wool. It'll absorb a lot of body odour. Yep. Um, and I guess that, that kind of kind of brings us to a... Um, Another subject, do you run your own tent or do you share a tent? That's entirely up to you, but uh, having a little bit of your own space at the end of the day isn't a bad thing. Yeah, you wouldn't want to let yeah. it smell. It'd smell too bad. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, but yeah, so so whatever you look at, yeah, certainly look at a layered, layered system. I know when I'm um, kicking about above tree line uh, in NZ, most of the time if you're moving you know, you'll you'll get away with just a thermal. Yeah, quite it's, comfortable. Yeah, yep. thermal and maybe a vest. Yeah. Um, and and that's sort of um, you know all of all I've done. So yeah. Excellent. No, 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 it's good. Um, you know, and and obviously, if anyone's got questions, mate, you can you know hit up Pat, especially on the clothing side of things. It's uh, it's been there and tried. But yeah. Um, you touched on it before. Obviously, you know, once again, tents can go from. Uh, here at a yeah. or zero to here, I suppose you could say, as far as budget goes. Um, yep. I'm taking a MSR, I think it's a Hubba Hubba. Yep. Um, over at the States with me, it's just a one man, but it's a, it's light, it's quick to set up. Yep. 
I shouldn't have too much worry with weather. You know, maybe a bit of rain at, at the worst. But, um, you know, obviously you got the Hilleberg here too. Just, just you know, maybe a brief run through the tents um, and what diff ones offer. Sure. Um, again, I'd probably like to, to uh, maybe run something a little more heavy than I need to yep. in the sense of, uh, you know, if, if weather does turn nasty. And again, this is more so New Zealand than, uh-huh. than anywhere else. Um, yeah, we've been running the Hilbergs for a while, but in saying that, I've done the same. I've owned a MSR, I've owned, you know, quite a number of tents that under the right conditions will do just as good a job as, as any other tent. Yep. It's just when that weather turns, you know, a bit foul that... Um, the issue you know is can arise um but yeah i guess for me um uh, weight and and packability are a consideration sure which you know they're a consideration for anyone doing a doing a multi-day backpack hunt um but certainly just that there's no silver bullet i guess for for all weather conditions yep. so i think the best advice i could give anyone is just just sort of uh, prepare for the worst, mm-hmm. and if the weather's better than that, then that's fine. You've had a good you trip. You've <laughs> a, yeah, you've got a you've had a good run. Um, so, but you know, most of the time, again, three season tents pitched in the right area. Um, you know, not obviously in direct howling wind and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That they'll withstand quite a bit. Yep. Um, it's just the once you get into Again, onto that west coast, you can you can get a snow dump, you can get all sorts of weather, yep. um, sort of you know one one thing after another, and it's just nice to know that that tent's probably a little more tolerant of that sort of sure. weather than. I mean, it's really the only shelter you've got when you're up there. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. I, I guess another thing I do certainly when I'm walking around. Um, the tops in NZ, if you you know you find a rock bivy, just mark it on your GPS. Yep. Um, it it could might save your bacon one day, you know, yep. if you if you get caught out in it. So yeah, yep. very handy. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's been just you know being open to the to the elements and the environment around you. You know, keeping an eye out and you know seeing those little things. You um, you know you hear stuff about the you know the the, the is it crevasses? I think they call them crevasses. Or yeah, crevasses. Yeah, um, they seem pretty, yeah, they seem a bit crazy. Yeah, they've. Uh, I've had a, a couple of um, couple of kind of near misses with crevasses, and it, it's probably in the most unlikely spot. I, I can remember coming home one night, um, just back to treeline, and and just poking along, sort of on some tussock, and for all intents and purposes, the tussock in front of me looked no different than the tussock behind me that I just walked on. And the next thing I knew, my feet were dangling, and the only thing holding me were elbows. And uh, yeah, that wakes you up pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. um, it's just you kind of think, yeah, right, eh? that was a bit close. Yeah. So it's yeah, you're just not quite sure just how deep they go. You yeah. shine a light down some of them, and when you can't see the bottom, you kind of think, yeah. So yeah, I know, I know. Last time we were in NZ, we were flying out, and and uh, there was a rescue helicopter flying in to try and find I think a, a Swedish guy or certainly some European nationality that had gone missing um, just you know in the last couple of days and as far as I know they never found him so yeah. it's yeah it's certainly something to be aware of and 
and I think only a week later, a a, uh, a guy from Newcastle actually died yeah. falling into a crevasse. And he was so. very experienced too. He'd, he'd done that yeah. a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah, it's certainly something to be aware of. Yeah, keep your um, wits about you. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, yeah, don't go rushing around the hill too, too much over there. <laughs> so well, I think you've... um. <laughs> You know, for for anyone that's sort of thinking about, it, I think there's a good start there. I think there's a bit of info there. Um, what um, you know, apart from the shot, what about you personally? What what plans have you got in for the future? I know um, I know you handed in a Montana elk tag this year, and so did I. But um, <laughs> um, you know, purely just we can't fit it in and things like that. But um, yeah. you know, what's what's on the cards for you? Okay, for uh, I guess for me. Um there's a few box to, uh, boxes to tick. I would, uh, I've got a couple of elk in the uh, in the northern hemisphere. I've been lucky enough to to get a couple of pretty nice bulls, you know, in years gone by. So, uh, Fiordland's uh, certainly an attraction for me still, and and a uh, a southern hemisphere wop, yep. uh, or certainly, you know. Basically, they're hybrids there, but um, so we're talking wapiti, red deer. Yeah, hybrid, correct, yep. correct, and um, but certainly uh, an elk-looking uh, animal, if you like, <laughs> uh, out of Fiordland with a bow. Yeah, no, that that's sort of high on my list. Um, I guess I better get it done in the next few years. I'll be too old to get in there shortly. <laughs> You'll but, be right. Uh, yeah, so that and um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I just. Uh, I enjoy lots of forms of hunting, I yep. suppose. That's what's good um, about it. Yeah, it is. And, and I guess my passion, while I can still do it, is is that mountain hunting for mountain yep. species, the tar, the chamois. The tar are probably the, the pinnacle for me. Yep. Um, uh, you know, I, I, any any bull tars a, yep. a trophy, really, with a bow. But certainly those uh, those big, big, you know, 13-inch plus tar you know with 10 year old or better mm-hmm. that's that's probably where it is for you yeah for my pinnacle yeah. i mean i know I've, i'm pretty envious of you you've drawn an ibex tag this year <laughs> yeah. so that's uh that'd be certainly yeah right i'm up just there. jumping straight in mate. Right <laughs> no up idea what i'm well. up to but, but uh, <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll yeah. make the most of it mate. Ah, absolutely yeah you gotta uh you gotta take that uh when it comes along yeah, i know definitely. no one of the elk we got um it's quite a funny story i i got onto this uh got onto this elk unit through a, a guy out here who'd who'd guided in montana and um sort of uh you know 10 years prior to him actually drawing a tag and and he went over into this unit and got a really nice bull and he told me about this unit and and um i thought oh well we might as well start them and trying to trying to draw this tag so I I put in for a put in for a bonus point. It, I think it had taken him four years to draw it. Yep. Um, so the chances of of us drawing it the first year were were very small. I, I think there was seventy five tags available for that unit, but but only ten percent were for non residents. Yep. So anyone who lived outside Montana, the rest of the world basically, um, then you had a chance of seven tags. So anyway, I had a had a good mate. Um, Paul Southwell, who was actually <laughs> actually on his honeymoon, or was going to be on his honeymoon in Canada at the same time uh, <laughs> as the uh, elk season had started in Montana. Uh, and I said to him, buddy, look, um, 
you know, I'm going to put in for this tag. You're going to be over there already. The chances of drawing it are minimal, like nothing, <laughs> you know. Famous so, last words. Famous last words. So do you want to put in for it? And he said, well, yeah, she's, I'll be in Canada. Like, it'll be all right. So I said, okay. So anyway, got a long story short. We drew the tag first year. And, um, yeah, I ended up getting a, a pretty nice bull there. And, and uh, yeah, Paul, un- unfortunately, missed a, a real good one as well. But it was a, it was a heck of a trip. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so sometimes you can get lucky. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. You just got to yeah. be in it to win it. Correct, correct. You know, some of us have got a bit of luck, and then we have a dry spell. And absolutely, absolutely. And, um, but you you're not half bad on the local stuff either, too, mate. I'm I'm looking at a at a fellow head here, mate. That's uh, I can't remember what it goes, mate. But it's it's a pretty damn good looking head. Yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, he's one of the better heads I've I've certainly seen, and um, it, yeah. He, he uh, he took a bit of getting. He was um, roughly he scores two forty three. So he's he's a he's a pretty decent decent head for me. The the attraction is his character. He's um, you know he's got a a tray tie there that just bends right into the to the middle of the antlers. And is it on Instagram? Uh, I think it it's on uh, it's on Facebook. So you yeah, can check it you out. Can check um, it out there. It probably it probably doesn't do it justice, but the mass is unbelievable. Yeah, um, it's probably nearly as much as my red deer, so yeah, it's no. pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I, I look at a fallow as, and and probably I got maybe a little more knowledge about the fallow than than any other species that I hunt. But um, a, a fallow that that you know has a main beam uh, circumference of four inches is sort of you know usually a, a pretty good. Uh, heavy mature head for yep. for this area anyway um that one there goes four and three quarters yep. so it's to tank it's it's getting up there as far as mass and and like i say the character he's just he's got kickers off his brow and kickers wild. off his tray and yep. yeah so he was he was a great deer to hunt uh it i think from the first time i saw him on a on a camera so actually, when I got him on the ground, was 21 days. Yep, there you go. Um, Had you seen him a year before, or that was... Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got a photo of him the year before. Uh, he was, again, I only saw him from a distance, and I think I only saw him once um, that year. I was actually chasing another one that, that I um, that I put an arrow in late in the season, but it was just, just too low. It was yep. into his brisket. And... Uh, Probably one of the highlights, <coughs> excuse me, of this uh, season was actually seeing that deer return, um, the one I'd put an arrow in last year, and unbelievably, the one I got and the uh, and the big one that I hit last year were only thirty yards apart well, on two scrapes at one yeah, stage. Cool. Yeah, <coughs> but um, I ended up getting this one. I had to end up shooting out of, out of a tree stand, but the trick was to get in that stand you know without him. yeah without uh alarming alarming him or any of the other deer and yeah i just about ended up getting divorced i think i was leaving <laughs> here at sort of 2 30 in the morning um that's just bow hunters in general mate. oh look <laughs> getting getting within 150 yards in the moonlight and then waiting for the moon to set and sneaking in you know to this stand and um at one stage i uh i knew him virtually by the end by his grunt and uh 
I was there one morning and I, I'd noticed that he'd moved away, you know, chasing a doe, obviously, and I thought this is my opportunity to get in. So I, I snuck into the stand and thought if I bumped any other deer, he'd just think it was, uh, you know, another deer intruding on his scrape. And I ended up with one foot on the stand and <coughs> and uh, one hand on the ladder. <laughs> and I hear this, <laughs> hear this fellow behind me just, <coughs> and I thought, Oh, here we go. And like it, he was literally within five yards. And that, <laughs> that primal sort of sound at that distance, yeah, made the hairs on the back of your neck stand up a bit. And, and then he went, got to his scrape, started scratching on his scrape. So I, yeah, took that opportunity to, to climb a couple more rungs. But he just sensed something and, and he ended up walking downwind of the tree and, and sort of blowing out of there. Um, Do you think it was over after he blew out? got the smell of you um yes and no i i've um i've certainly bumped uh pretty good bucks off off scrapes before yeah and they they always come back yeah there's no question they're very very territorial and aggressive and i guess the thing where i put this scrape it was only 15 meters from me uh, where i put the tree stand was only 15 meters from his scrape okay. and um and the other the, the other buck that I'd shot the year before, he was about 45 metres. And ironically, they hadn't even worried each other the whole time that I'd, that I'd seen them there. Yep. And, and this was going on three or four days that, that, you know, I'd spent quite a few hours with them um, within 50 or 60 yards. Yep. But in that time, they were always moving. I was never going to take try and take that shot, sure. you know, um, through the middle of the rut. They never stand still. So... Um, when he did come back, I got into the stand and, and it was probably only an hour, hour and a half, and he actually came back. But he went straight up to this other, to this top stand and didn't even hesitate, just took on this other stay or this other buck and uh, and pushed him out of there and then took over the top stand. So then I still had a 45-meter <laughs> shot, you know, and I thought, oh, God. So, but, uh, yeah, no, there was some, just some fantastic times. Um, yep through that rut it, it was uh I, I guess for me now i've i've got to the stage where you know over the years i guess i've i've shot a few decent fellow and and um yeah you know i just i just target one animal now yep. and if i don't get him i don't get him that's that's just how it is yep. uh and yeah you know i think as you mature you know as a hunter you you tend tend to chase those more mature animals sure yeah, yeah. I reckon it's great having a story. I, you know, obviously we both listen, and and many of us listen to you know the podcast talking to the guys overseas, and mm. um, you know they're always talking about that mule deer they've seen for the last three years in a row, or the sure. the bull they had, you know, numerous numerous um, times they've had him in forty yards, whatever yeah. it may be. And I think, geez, it'd be just so cool to be able to have yeah. that yeah. kind of connection with them, and yeah, real story behind them. It's really good. Yeah, absolutely, and like to add to that uh i guess when when this uh buck i got chased the uh the other bigger buck off and and believe me he was still a good deer like he last year he would have given 250 and i just this year he still would have you know been in the high 230 so he was no slouch um but he took off and and um just through a, a miscommunication I was uh, sitting there um, just watching, you know, the buck I was chasing and he was now bedded on the on the scrape on where the other scrape, one was. Yep. 
and next thing, a rifle shot's gone off only 300 yards away. And I'm thinking, jeez, what's going on here? And anyway, uh, my first thought actually was that other older buck had just trotted across an open paddock and yep. just got, you know, zotted. And and it, to me, that was actually quite disappointing. He sure. just, you know, I thought he, you know, he deserved more than that. Um, and so... Um, I kind of looked back at my buck and he was still bedded even after the shot, obviously looking in the, that direction. Fortunately, the doe sort of got up and, and started to take off and he followed her. So it was kind of, you know, a relief to see that. And uh, anyway, after a couple of phone calls, um, yeah, that got sorted. That was no problem. And and then a couple of days later, I was uh, walking, doing a big loop to try and get back in the stand again. And uh, I was sort of heading around in the direction of where the shot came from. And I found this carcass, and it was a big chocolate carcass, you know, but it had just been ring-barked. And, and I kind of, yeah, I, I stopped for a minute beside him, to be quite honest, and, and just, yeah, again, told him he deserved better than that, you yep. know, which, which they do, uh, especially those old mature bucks. And, and um, <coughs> anyway... We went on to obviously end up taking this buck and then I had a, a mate come up and, and got him a shot at a, at a pretty decent buck as well uh, from the same stand. And <clears throat> all this time I thought this, this older buck had obviously been shot. Found the carcass, chocolate carcass, yep. all the, you know, all of them and uh, it all ended, it all sort of equaled, you know, the Up worst case scenario. Yeah. And... Um, so the afternoon after um, this mate of mine had shot his buck, I decided to go back and get my cameras that I'd had on these stands. And, well, blow me down. I looked back down on the same scrape where I'd shot my buck, a mate had shot his buck, and there's a big chocolate buck down there again. So I raced back, grabbed my binos, looked down. Sure enough, it's this old deer. Yep. And um, I came home and... And said to to Harrison, my son, and and to the the buddy I had here, I said that buck's still alive, you know. And they said, "Oh, you'll be able to get him tomorrow." And I said, "Well, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to take some photos, and um, I'm going to have him and uh, put a pin on his shoulder, and then I'm going to sit it a foot over his back. I'm going to squeeze the trigger." And they kind of paused for a second and. You could see the look on their face, thinking, <laughs> "Why would you do that?" And I said, "Well, you know, I've got a really good buck this year. That buck that's still there, he survived a year with an arrow injury. Um, he's got good genetics. To me, he deserves to live. I'm not going to shoot him. Yeah, you know. And and yeah, I, I well, I nearly did exactly that. I went over the next morning, got some photos, and then basically the doe ran down underneath the tree and and blew out of there, and he went with her. Yeah." Um, but to me, yeah, that, that's just how, how I feel about deer now. I just, I don't have to shoot them all. It's yeah. just one of those things. No, that's good. I mean, you know, we, we've all been, you know, we've, we've all sort of hunted for a fair while now and, mm. you know, I, I sort of sort of take the same direction unless we're sort of instructed if it comes to pigs and that kind of thing, if we're instructed by sure. the farmer or something to sure. help out with numbers, you know, we'll, we'll change our direction there. But yeah. You know, yeah. I'm likely to just probably pick up the rifle and go and sort a few out if that's the case. Correct. But, um, yeah. yeah, coming back to bow hunting, it's, you know, I think that's the challenge. You know, if you can walk out of the hills and be satisfied that you didn't shoot anything but you had a great time, yeah, 
you know, I think I think that's what it's all about. And and look, if you know, if you're getting into it, you know, and you you haven't shot much, you know, rip in, get into them, you know, yeah. um, get as much practice on the animal as you can, because there's nothing like actually taking an animal cleanly over, you know, shooting targets for arrows on end. There's there's Absolutely. there's just nothing the same. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's for sure. And and um, yeah, I think you know, for a young guy starting any any deer, any any pig. You know, I, I can remember when I first started, um, gee, I think <laughs> the first pig I got, I think I slapped him on the back literally at five yards <laughs> like I was that nervous that, uh, yeah, it just all went to pieces. And, yeah. and I think we've all been there, yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, still there. <laughs> yeah, at times, at times, and that's why we do it, I guess. But, uh, yeah, no, you know, from, from a point of view, if you're starting, I guess it only thing I would say is, and what I've always practiced is, is you know, if you shoot one deer, and unless it's a cull or unless it's for meat, if you're trophy hunting specifically, then just try and shoot a deer that's bigger than what you've shot before. For sure. Um, yep. And if you can do that, then, you know, you're progressing. Yeah, um, definitely. You're shooting a more mature animal and, and it's, you know, it's all good. Yeah. It's all go ahead. So Yeah, the proficiency. I mean, I still love, you know, whistling foxes. You yeah. know, that's that's my, probably one of my favourite hunts. If mm -hmm. I can get to a, you know, one of the blocks that, you know, obviously that, you know, it's just that country that, you know, they're, they're left, right and centre. Sure. Oh, it, it's great fun, you know, and it's not it's not a huge trophy on the wall or anything like that. No. But, no. Um, it's great fun. No, that's, and that's, that's a great point. You've, you've, it doesn't matter what you're hunting, and and at the end of the day, you'll you'll see all these massive trophies on social media, and but at the end of the day, you can only shoot what's there. Sure. Um, and I think you know we've all been guilty of it, getting you know tied up in the fact that oh yeah, this guy always seems to shoot this massive deer, and you know we don't get to shoot any. Well. Yeah, believe me, there's been plenty of times I've gone out and, and been in that same boat. You yep. know, you, you just, the deer aren't there or the animal, the trophy isn't there to shoot. You just can't shoot it. Yep. Um, the more time you spend in the bush, the the more chance you've got of, you know, obviously finding that, that good animal that, yeah, that, you know, you want. Um, but again, I guess for me now, you know, places like Fjordland, and I get a real kick out of, going to into areas or going into specific spots where historically I've read about that spot. Yep. Yep. Uh, I know the last trip in we went into into the Glasnock and went right back up to Oilskin Pass, which is I think it was about eleven and a half hours like from the from the mouth of the river. And um about seven hours in you've got uh the Glasnock rock bivy which is if you read anything about fjordland you will see you know um historic photos of old guys standing outside this rock bivy with yep. a massive you know set of antlers and um yeah we we got in there it was the weather was a bit horrendous for a couple of days so we we um stayed in there for a little bit and you've got guys names inscribed on the roof from yeah, the 1940s cool. yeah you know yeah. i mean we're talking kind of going uh, back in history so you know yeah. 70 70 odd years ago yeah and you can imagine the gear those guys were taking back in then yeah, like we're, I soft, mean, we're soft now oh <laughs> mate honestly you know they'd be wearing hobnail boots and carton truck tops in there you unreal know, that sort of caper yeah um yeah i know uh one stage there um joseph peters and i were 
were camped in there one night on the way back and um yeah the weather was was still pretty ordinary and and late that afternoon he'd he'd read uh about a book where they'd actually shot a really good bull spotted from the bivy itself and lo and behold there was this little slip like on the other side of the river it was still probably three or four hundred yards away and it sort of seemed just to open up a little bit up beside this uh this cliff and uh here's this woman he certainly wasn't a big bull but here's this woman this wop walking up this slip you know yeah and reliving yeah. history yeah it's just step by step absolutely yeah absolutely so yeah it's 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 more than just killing something you yeah know? it really is um yeah. i think we should we try and share that really well now too yeah know, I, yeah um you know, you know, that, that's what i'm trying to do you know people ask me about traveling overseas and yeah and i'm like i wouldn't go to these places if it wasn't for the hunting um it doesn't have to end in a kill it's great if it does yeah. but yeah you know the journey and you know the yeah, the guys people always talk meet. about the experience, the people yeah. you meet. I've got some, you know, I've got great contacts. You know, Bowhunting's brought all us guys together as well. And, yeah, you know, it's sure. bloody cool. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, you know, uh, sharing those experiences, there's some guys around who are obviously awesome photographers, you know, and and you see some see some great photos. And, and for me, that's that's probably getting to the point now, if you can get a great still shot. Yep. Um, Man, that's that's as good a trophy as having it on the ground. Definitely, you know? yeah. Well, they say it's a it's a thousand words. It can tell a story. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Um, yeah, so. I was lucky. You know, last year we we had a film crew come over to the states last year, and you know, I'll, it was sort of mixed thoughts. I didn't really know, and you know, it made things a little bit more difficult than that. You know, yeah. um, but I've been getting some clips through of the the final editing happening, and it's something to look out for so it's yep. it's incredible and cool i had no idea it was even happening behind me so yeah yep. um and the boys will be doing it again this year they won't be following me but um the cameraman himself's got a tag this year so yeah yeah um, that'll be pretty cool so yeah but, no, um, that's right yeah no brad and well obviously brad and jerry you're talking about there and and uh yeah those guys have stepped our yep. photography up big time yep. yeah I the bow hunter down under films boys there uh, yeah yeah, well, it's um, yeah, they're a whole nother league. Yeah, they're, um, absolutely. And they're passionate. That's the biggest thing, you know. And yeah, the, boy, the boys, you know, they don't like us talking about them, but you know, there's no, to be honest with you, there's no one out there better than you know. No. They're they're up with the best, even in the you know around the world. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, they're they're really in for it too. They they yeah they go all out and they're they're prepared to walk away from something if it's not right too. Mm. That's that was what I was amazed at. It's like we can't quite do that. We're not there. And yeah, I'm like that's that's. Yeah, that's a good effort, you know. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. well, mate, we um, we probably should wrap this up, mate. I've, I better probably pay for the go the stuff that you've keep trying to sell me. So, <laughs> um, it's always expensive when you drop in here. Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> you could be uh, you could be blowing it on something else, mate. <laughs> yeah. at, least just, at least you see for the for sure uh, a bit of value for money when you walk out the door. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, mate, anyway. thank you so much for your time, mate. Um, you know, where, where's the best place, obviously, to, to find Boulder Creek and, and to follow yourself, mate? Yeah, certainly. Well, well firstly, I guess thank, thanks for having me too. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, it's always great to have a 
have a yarn and and to be able to share it with a, a bigger audience well that's that's even better Pleasure, mate. um but yeah look if anyone wants to get in touch with me just uh boulder creek archery facebook page at the moment we've uh we've been working on a web page for about the last two years i know and i <laughs> have, rush to, these things. have to apologize <laughs> to everyone but uh yeah it's it's just one of those things i wanted to get right um before i uh, ever launched it and and I think the fact that our uh, product range just kept evolving and changing, you know, it would have been a, uh, a nightmare to, to keep up with it all. So, um, yeah, just uh, you can you can message me on Facebook or the uh, my my uh, mobile numbers there and contact details. So, Beautiful. yeah, anyone's got any questions, just, um, yeah, give us a buzz. No, nah, good stuff, so, mate. No, nah, anyone that's, especially if you're interested in heading to New Zealand and, um, you know, I know, if you, I know you've got some stuff in the works, so... Um, be looking forward to sharing that with everyone when it comes up. So, yeah, um, thanks again, mate. All right, thank you. Good on you. Right. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hunting Camp Down Under. Send me a direct message with any general questions or further information on any of the topics that we discussed during the podcast. Or if you have a great story to tell and would like to share it, be sure to hit me up. I'd love to have you on the podcast. You can also email me at huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com. That's it from me this week. May the hunting gods be with you on your next adventure. Bye for now.